You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Riffs and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riffwake. And I'm Remy Morris on Riffwake. And today we're going to be talking about spellcasting. Ring. I don't know what, but I always just want to make some kind of sound after I make the announcement of the topic. Like, do you think you could edit in some kind of bring? Uh, too much effort. <laughs> okay, fine. Just cut out the previous sentence and keep the bring. <laughs> I'll try, I'll try. <laughs> fine. <laughs> so... A whole lot of classes in Dungeons and Dragons are able to cast magic in some form or other, but it's complicated and there are a lot of different ways of how that works. So we're going to be going through those for today. So first up, first off, what is a spell? There's a lot of magical effects in D&D that are not spells because a spell is a specific shaping of magic that is repeatable, reliable, you know that your character is able to expend X amount of magic and create Y effect every time when they do it. So in order to cast magic, there are two ways to target, what, and that is either a direct attack roll at a specific creature where you roll an attack roll and you just roll a d20 adding whatever your spellcasting modifiers and bonuses are and then if that number is higher than, or equal to or higher than their ac then you hit the other way is by saving throws and that can either be for single target and area of effect spells and what's interesting is that a lot of saving throw spells especially as you get more and more powerful magic accessible even if someone saves on their roll, it can still do half damage on a miss. And that is one of the big benefits of magic, or just in terms of damaging magic casting. 
Yeah, that's very true. Because uh, there are situations where there are enemies that have incredibly high ACs, but they might not have the stats. Or even if they have the stats, half damage is still damage. Exactly. Now, I also mentioned just ago that the magic gets stronger as time goes by. So just like characters have levels, spells also have levels. Although instead of going from 1 to 20, spell levels are referred to from level 0 to level 9. So a level 0 spell is also called a cantrip, and that is a usage of magic that requires so little effort and expenditure on the part of the spellcaster that it does not consume any of their magical resources, whether that's a class feature or spell slots. A cantrip, you just can do as long as it's your turn and you have the necessary actions to cast that particular spell. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, you go up to the level 9 spells. Those are the world changers. Wish, the most powerful spell mortal spell that casters can cast. Honestly, Wish probably deserves its own episode sometime in the future. But level 9 spells in general are big. Now, how a different... <laughs> how each class knows what spells it has accessible varies based on the classes themselves. Certain classes have a finite number of spells. There's two primary ways to know what and how many spells each class has available. And that boils down to having either known spares, known spells or prepared spells. Having to, or sorry, uh, just having known spells means that as you level up, you know a specific number of spells at specific levels. And honestly, most classes are actually that method. That is bards, sorcerers, rangers, warlocks, uh, even the half-casters like Eldritch Knight and Arcane Trickster Rogue. So for those, just you pick the spells and those are the spells that you know. The only time that you're able to change a spell is you can change one of your leveled spells. You cannot change cantrips, but you can change a leveled spell each time you level up you can swap out one of the spells that you know for a different spell on the list for your class. Now, on the other hand, for prepared spells, every time the class finishes a long rest, that class is able to pick the spells that they have available for the day, which gives these classes actually a lot of flexibility. And that includes clerics, druids, paladins, and wizards. Although the wizards are somewhat more limited, in that they have a spell book that has the spells that they find along their journey and just are able to prepare a number of spells from the total in that book. So quite a number of times I've mentioned spell slots as the thing that is expended in order to cast magic. And it's a bit of a weird system, to be honest with you all. <laughs> so a spell slot is bubble of magic that is of a certain size in your character. So as you level up, you do not have a mana pool in Dungeons & Dragons like you do in so many video games. You have bubbles of magic, for lack of a better term, and you get more 
and larger bubbles as you get stronger for your character. So you will have four spell slots of first level and two second level spell slots that are larger and so on and so forth all the way from first through ninth level and then for the higher tiers you will only ever get one casting per day for the ninth eighth and seventh level big spells and what is useful in dungeons and dragons magic is that you are able to force the larger spell slot to to power a lot of spells that are at first of a lower level. So if you have a healing spell like Cure Wounds, you can cast it using a higher level spell slot in order to force more healing magic into the spell into your target. So if you cast Cure Wounds, which is normally a first level spell with a fourth level spell slot, then you would cast it with 4d8 instead of 1d8 plus your spellcasting modifier. Uh, unfortunately, though, there are some spells that do not have any advantage when casting a higher level, when cast using a higher level spell slot. However, if your character has run out of lower level spell slots, you are still able to use the higher level version. It just does not give any enhanced effect if the spell does not list an enhanced effect when cast at a higher level. Now, when you're actually casting a spell, generally speaking, it takes an action to cast your spell. However, there are a number of spells that are able to be cast with a bonus action. However, there is a restriction that is actually one of the things that most players and DMs probably miss in the rulebook, which is that you can only cast a single leveled spell during the same turn. So if you cast Healing Word as a bonus action to help a character, you cannot also cast Cure Wounds as your action. You can cast Healing Word and then cast a cantrip, like say, an attack spell, but you cannot cast two leveled spells in the same turn. On the other hand, there's also a number of spells that have a casting time of longer than an action. Some spells have a casting time of 10 minutes, an hour. I think the highest one is 24 hours, maybe? But while those are being cast, the caster's focus and concentration which we'll get to later, is on the casting of that spell. No, actually, we should probably not. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking I'll go to go back to concentration later since I've got that later in the list anyway. So we'll just cut out that last 30 seconds or so. Yeah, okay. Now, there is also another option of casting called rituals. Some spells have a little R for ritual tag, on their spell card or your character sheet. And what that refers to is that those spells can be cast with an additional 10 minute casting time. So generally speaking, not in the middle of combat, but with that extra 10 minute casting, that slowed time allows you to cast that spell without consuming a spell slot. And there are a number of very, very useful ritual spells throughout the game. 
identify to let you know what a magic item is, uh, water walking to, well, do what it says on the tin there. But point being, there are a lot of very useful ritual spells that if you have the time to cast them, can give very useful effects without consuming the resources of your spell slots. Now, generally speaking, all spells will have a set range. And that range is how far you have to be, or actually how close you have to be in order to be able to cast whatever effect you're trying to. However, this is another one of those details that a lot of people miss, which is that once a spell is cast, its effects are not limited by its range unless the spell specifically says otherwise. So there are a lot of spells where you have to be within 30 feet or 90 feet to cast the spell. But once the spell is cast, you are able to back away or leave the area as long as you maintain your focus and concentration on the spell the effect still happens. One of the few exceptions to that is a spell, an attack spell called Witch Bolt, where you zap someone with lightning, and on each turn thereafter, you can use your action to automatically damage them again and again and again. But they have to stay within 30 feet of you, or the effect is broken. Oops. Now, also, when casting any spells, it has some amount of components, and these are usually summarized as three things: verbal. Wait, uh, yes. Remy, can I can I do this? Please. Okay. So when it comes down to spells, um, they often have three components that are required: verbal, somatic, and material. Verbal is anything you have to speak or something you have to say aloud to create the effect. Somatic is basically actions, perhaps with your limbs, your hands, your fingers, signs to cause the magic to work. And material is a material of some sort um, that you can often see in the description of the spell um, to actually allow the spell to happen. Mm -hmm. And all three of those also have some rather interesting implications as well. So if a spell has a verbal component, then that means that if that person or type of character in general is gagged or in an area of magical silence, they flat out cannot cast that spell. And the same for somatic. If you just have someone restrained or handcuffed, then they're not able to use somatic spells. And that's actually why magic users are not able to wear armor, is because it says in the description that any magic user cannot cast while trying to use ar while wearing armor that they're not proficient in. So that actually has a kind of fun implication too. That means that if you have a magical wizard jail, you could just have all of them be gagged and all of them just have like straight jackets and it drastically reduces the type of magic that anyone is able to tell just through those mundane or just through those mundane methods. And also for material components, they do have a description uh, on each spell. However, anything that doesn't have a specified material price listed can be cast with a substitution of an arcane focus, whether that's a wizard's staff or a cleric's holy symbol or a bard's instrument. Anything that doesn't say something like 500 gold worth of diamond dust. Anything that's just pinch of bat guano. 
any mundane component can be replaced by an arcane focus. So, Remy, what do you think was the point of putting in all those uh, material descriptions or the materials, if that was the case? Because the people who write Dungeons and Dragons are nerds and don't think most people will read that line and notice, hey, wait, I don't need to carry around literal batshit. Because a lot of people don't know that that rule is there. Oh, that'd be funny. Can you imagine? It's just a massive prank on the world that they just. I wonder how many people are actually going to read that line. Can can you imagine, like, some spell caster, caster, like, digging away through a cave and shoveling out that shit for his spells? Or it's just, like, a punishment duty for people at wizard school. Like that, the only like, reason those arcane yeah. the arcane components are required is just for like those apprentice and beginning magic users, and that everyone by the time they get to level two are expected like you should really have an arcane focus by now. That's kind of makes your life much easier. Honestly, like actually, that would make some sense if it is just a kind of lore thing in the world. It could just be that you only have the material components for the basics of spellcasting, but that that is the focus in order to make it easier to cast that gets replaced by something better sooner than later. Anyway. So when you cast a spell, it also has a listed duration. Generally speaking, for attack spells, that will be instantaneous, meaning you cast the spell and whatever the effect is happens. Now, that is another one that has a kind of interesting implication in that when dispel magic is to be used on something, anything that has a duration of instantaneous has already happened and is therefore immune to being dispelled because there is no longer a magical effect in effect. It is simply there. So certain conjurations that have an instantaneous duration you'd think would go away, but they just are there now. Now, on the other hand, a lot of powerful spells have a notice on them that says concentration. And that refers to the fact that those spells require the focus, and I hate having to use the word itself, but concentration of the spellcaster in order to maintain the spell. And in the event of them being attacked, they have to roll a constitution saving throw with a DC of either 10 or half of whatever damage hits them, whichever is higher. So if something is getting hit with multiple attacks, it can be very hard for them to maintain concentration on, say, an important buff spell or an area of effect heal or an area of effect damage spell. So any concentration spell is usually an effect that is worth protecting. So... A lot of the time, there can be moments where there are two people in the party that might have a similar spell. But unfortunately, spells do not stack with the same. So if you have two clerics in a party that both have access to the blessed spell, you cannot be double blessed and be able to roll 2d4 to add your effects. It will only still do 1d4. And the same is also true for temporary hit points. You might have one spell that grants 
let's say, three temporary hit points at the start of each turn, and another that's from someone else, a single effect that is just a flat 10 temporary hit points. In that situation, they would not add together to 13. In that specific case, it would be whichever is the higher number, so the 10, and then after the 10 are depleted, if the spell that grants the 3 is still in effect, then they would gain 3 on the next turn. So it is only the highest number that comes into effect. So now let's shift away from the rule side a little bit and go more into the story side. So, so it's an important thing to think about magic itself in your world. So how common is magic in the world? Well, uh, when it comes down to Riftwake, basically the general concept that I went with when deciding on how magic won't work is that it was basically a world where originally the two original worlds had relatively below um, what you would consider normal D&D magic. And then due to their basically meeting each other due to reasons that will be explained to the show eventually, now has basically gained the ability to cast spells such as um, Revivify and other spells of that sort, as well as um, now there have been new magics that have been discovered due to this uh, fusion of magic between these worlds. And how you want to balance out stuff like that is something that all dungeon masters really need to think about. Because what, especially higher level magics exist, has huge impacts on the world. So resurrection is a very impactful thing that we talked about a good bit in our death and dying episode last week. But another one to think about would be something like teleportation. So if you have teleportation circles scattered throughout the world, that has a colossal impact on travel, on trade, on war. So exactly how much magic is in the world, how high magic is your world, is a thing worth considering. And also along those lines is to think about who is it who teaches magic in your world? Is it all apprentices or uh, apprentice and masters or is it more the magical colleges route well um for Riftwake, most magical knowledge is gained through studying there are generally two ways about it there is either the arcana scriptorium which is a basically a public library of sorts where it's a sort of repository of Almost every single magical book in existence, um, it's located in Delma. And effectively, people uh, go there to try to learn magics. And yes, uh, most people can do so. But if you want to really, really become good at magic, and if you don't really have the knack of learning it yourself, such with real life, people want to learn how to program stuff. Sometimes the only way about it is really like signing up for a course or something, which in that case would be the Black Clown Academy, which is where uh, academics and people who are well read and well studied go to learn magic. Um, since they actually teach magic as something of a... It, it, to, to be considered as something of like a university level sort of education rather than what magic is shown in other 
uh, well, um, magic is shown in other settings where younger people learn it. It's a it's a thing that you only learn when you're older. Which makes sense, because honestly, the fact that there are so many young adult settings with young magic users that don't have the school burning down is what pushes my suspension of disbelief. If you give 11-year-olds flamethrowers, they're, they're going to use them. That's just how kids are. Yeah, because there's a multitude of reasons why you don't want every kid to have magic, that being one of them. But um, another would be uh, the case where, well, we don't give guns to children in real life, do we? So it's, it's pretty much the same I thing. Mean, we, we, we do in America. We prefer not to give ch- children guns <laughs> if possible. <laughs> Right. So, anyway, let's let's not get let's not get cancelled already by going too far into that debate. Sure thing. Uh, anyhow, all right. So, on a semi-related topic, though, so we mentioned that there can be limits on magic, whether that is worldwide, like the limits on resurrection that is commonly done. But another thing that honestly I would say I don't see done often enough is to just have laws against magic in some places. Like if you just have any city with over 50,000 people, it would make sense for there to just be laws that say something like, no fire magic in the city, just don't. That's just asking for bad, bad time. But there, there is the other question, however, where, okay, so in a magical setting, why would you say no to fire magic? Because you don't have a stove. Would you say no to someone who just wanted to like like create a fire for their um, dinner? You know, it's that kind of situation. I mean, I mean, there are laws about that kind of stuff. There are laws of, you know, uh, an oven is that is sold must be this quality <laughs> to not have fire. So if you have people that are human flamethrowers, it would make logical sense to have a similar limit on them. Or it could even be the kind of thing of no fire magic without a permit. Like, you just have to prove yourself responsible about it. Yeah, can, can you imagine? But it's just something that... Uh, when, when you turn mm-hmm. 18, you have to go to um, magic school, which is basically not true magic, where, like, actual high-level high, high level magic, where it's more like you show them that, okay, I'm capable of using cantrips without killing myself and everyone around me. Uh, something like a car, um, and basically be like, "Okay, you're good to go. We assume you won't kill anyone. You've got you've proven your responsibility with cantrips, and now you can move on to wizard college." Yes. <laughs> yeah, like honestly, that makes logical sense. All right, so one last thing before we wrap up. So I mentioned before that spell slots are the way that magic is quantified and it probably wouldn't be very hard to figure out that i'm not the biggest fan of that system because it's weird and in the dungeon master's guide there actually is an alternative listed there is a spell points system where it is basically just your character can have a pool of magic and it just costs a quantity of spell points to cast magic of each level and that's that and i think it's awesome but i never see it used which makes me sad 
<laughs> yeah, I, I bet. I bet if um, it were to be used, it would be rather a lot more flexible. But the I, I think yes, yeah. The main reason why I believe that uh, it's the way it currently is with all these spell slots is because it's a lot more easy to for people to understand. I would debate yeah, good that point, heavily. Good point. Because, yeah, the, the need, the need. Just to have to remember, ah, oh, yes, as a high-level character, I have got four level four, or, so I've got four first-level spell slots, three second-level spell slots, three third-level spell slots, two fourth-level spell... What? Instead of just, oh, okay, I have 100 magic yeah, points. Because like, you do need to compartmentalize the, the information when it comes down, when, when, once it becomes such a uh, mess of different numbers, isn't it? Yeah, like especially as you get to higher level and you have nine different levels of spell slots, it, it gets weird. But on the other hand, to play devil's advocate for a moment, it using the spell point system does change the balance of the game enormously in that because you are not limited in the amounts of spells that you're able to cast in the same way, like you're not just able to cast the four first level spell slots. If you have a hundred magic points eventually, then that would mean that instead of just blasting out with a lot of high level magic, you could cast 50 first level spells compared to four. Oh gosh. Which drastically changes the balance of things. So if you have a high level cleric that suddenly is able to cast cure wounds 50 times a day, it does create a very, very different balance on the world. Whether that balance is a bad thing, I would say no, but I acknowledge that the argument could be made. So That'll do it for us for today. Thank you for listening to us talk about spellcasting. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash riffwakepodcast. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even a shout-out on the show. Donations begin at $1. Find us on social media, on Twitter, at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook, at Riffwake, and on Reddit, on the subreddit, r slash Riffwake Podcast. Have a good one. Bye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.